blue wire. To the end zone he goes. Where Sammy is. Boyd with a great fake. Touchdown, Taj. Hopkins throws to Boyd. Lean means touchdown throwing machine tonight, and he's got another one. Boyd. Welcome back or welcome to the Taj Boyd Podcast. I'm joined today by a disruptor in the quarterback training space. He is one of, if not the elite quarterback trainer in football right now, and he says he's here to stay. He works with the likes of Josh Dobbs, Dwayne Haskins, Deshaun Watson, and some of the best collegiate quarterbacks in the game. But it's more than what meets the eye. He gives us an inside look into what it took to get to the level that he's at. Welcome, Quincy Avery to the show, folks. Here we go. Oh, and if you haven't, hit that subscribe button. You know what to do. Click it. This show is brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Subscribe. Well, folks, today I am joined by a very special guest. Now, this man right here is the quarterback whisperer. He's a quarterback training to the stars, but he doesn't just train them. He makes them. So from Little League to the pros, this is the busiest trainer in all of sports. He's a jet setter with record setting quarterbacks, Quincy Avery. Quincy, welcome to the Taj Boyd Podcast. Man, I appreciate you having me on. That was quite the introduction. Yeah, I'm working on it, man. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what I can do out here. So yeah, you just uh you just finished up the the Washington Nationals Houston Astro game, man. That was pretty sick. How was that? Man, I was uh it was dope. Found out we had some tickets last minute. Uh Deshaun got a a text from Justin Verlander, like, yo, I got you some tickets. So we, we pulled up. Uh, it was cool to see. I wish the Astros would have got a win, but it was it was a fun experience. First time ever at a World Series game, so I had to take that in. Yeah, what was it, 5-4? Yeah, 5-4. Uh, the Nationals got out to a little – well, first, you know, the Strohs took a lead, but then the, the, the Nationals came powering back, and we had to shoot out a little early, so we didn't see the comeback, so we didn't get the, the suspense at the end. <laughs> yeah. I feel that, man. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, with, with obviously you trained Deshaun, we'll get into some of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you a fish? You're a bona fide Houston fan, Houston Rockets, Houston Texans, Houston Astros. Are you all in? No, nah, I'm, I'm a, I happen to be a James Harden fan. So that makes me a Houston Rockets fan. And then, of course, I'm a Texans fan. I, I was rooting for the Astros because I was with the Astros fans. So I was, I was a bandwagon. All right. I was just a bandwagon fan last night. Yeah, I feel that, bro. <laughs> That's awesome. But you're, where are you from? You from Atlanta? No, I'm Where's from you? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Not to be confused with St. Paul. So I'm from, <laughs> I'm from Minneapolis, but I've been living in Atlanta for almost since 2004. I left for a bit when I went out to to LA to coach for UCLA. Now you you played at Morehouse out there in the A. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he was out there with my dog Scorpio. <laughs> Scorpio <laughs> Brown, yeah. That's my dog. Could my man play or what? <laughs> he's a he's a really good athlete. Uh, he got yeah. he actually got better after he got out of college, which is which is interesting. He was good in college, but you know he ended up playing like the semi pro, doing all those different things. The Scorpio was a character to say the least from Bad News Virginia. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's one of a kind, man. I tell you that. Truly unique. He's a legend out there in Virginia. <laughs> that's for sure. So, yeah, what's going on with you now, man? You're founder of Quarterback Takeover, and you know, yeah. I, I check out your social media all the time. You're grinding. I'm trying to. So I started Quarterback Takeover when I when I got into quarterback training back in 2011. 
Um, started with, with really one quarterback. The first quarterback that I got a chance to train was Josh Dobbs, uh, who ended up earning a scholarship to Tennessee. But but since then, just been growing. Um, so now we touch about 300 kids in our monthly and, and regular training. And then we got a couple camps. We see another 200 kids there. I got a staff of about 17 people. So it's it's been amazing to see really a business like people it, people talk about it like it's just quarterback training yeah. that's an important factor but being, being able to build a business a sustainable business um, where I can help other guys uh, really grow and succeed and it's I get to see coaches grow and succeed and then I get to see guys starting fourth and fifth grade go on and earn college scholarships been fortunate enough to see some of these guys go on and go on to play in the NFL and it's been it's been breathtaking experience it almost sounds like one big discipleship. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when you start off with something like that, you start off with one guy, because there's a lot of people that's listening and it's going through different, you know, changes and avenues in their life. And they don't realize that it's, it's one step or one foot in front of the other the whole way through. And, you know, was there ever a time where you were discouraged along that process? You know, what's unique is I was, when I was coaching at UCLA, I was living out of a locker room. That was two years straight and not getting paid any money. Living out the locker room. Yeah, living out the locker room. You know the the GA life. So I was yeah, had to be yeah. the first one in the office, had to be the last one to leave, and didn't make any money, and I wasn't spending a bunch of time doing anything else. So I just just slept in the locker room. So two years doing that, um, that kind of that kind of built me, like built my metal. Um, it calloused me a little bit, so I didn't get discouraged about much. Then I I when I left out of UCLA, I moved to Atlanta, but didn't have enough money to to pay for an apartment or anything. So I lived in my car for a year and a half and was just trying to find clients to train to be yeah. a quarterback trainer. Uh, but I'd already, I felt like I'd already been through some tough stuff. Like this, this wasn't going to break me. So right. it, it's to me, the big thing is not thinking about like actually in the instance instant, but being more about delayed gratification, having your mind on the big goal that you have at the end of the tunnel um, and working hard in each individual moment, but knowing that there's something greater to come. And that's, uh, you know, that's easier said than done because, I mean, there's a lot of people right now who, you know, are in the fire and, you know, they just get out of it and they don't realize, man, if they just get through it, man, like you say, you, you are calloused, you are hardened and you're better off because of it. And you're better off impacting and influencing the people around you because you have something to say, because you have something to share. And, you know, as a quarterback coach and as a trainer and as a mentor, you know, I'm sure that that's one of the things that, that delights you the most is you're not just speaking uh, from something that you're guessing or from something that you heard. You're speaking from experience. hundred um, percent. I feel like it gives me an extra sense of credibility when I talk to mm -hmm. these guys. They know that I'm not just saying something like, be tough, do this, do that, work hard. Because sure. uh, I'm telling guys all the time, like, it's a lot of people who talk about like doing the things that they want to do, talk about earning a scholarship, who talk about playing in the NFL, but they don't, they don't put yeah. the work in each and every day. Um, they, they are okay with being average in a lot of different aspects. And, and I'm not somebody who's like, yo, I have to be great in everything. Cause people say that. And I think that's kind of a far fetched idea, but the thing that you say you want to be great in, you better be putting all your eggs in that basket and doing every single thing you can to really truly be great at it. Yeah, put the put that the hammer of Thor on that <laughs> shit. I dig that. Now in Atlanta, I mean you're in kind of a 
you know, Atlanta's a unique space because it's a hub for a lot of different things. And obviously, you know, I've seen that you've ventured out and you work with Elite 11 and Trent Dilfer and all of that. Um, but do you feel like that's you can reach and have that outreach that you need to from that space better off than anywhere else? The cool thing about Atlanta is that there's just been so many quarterbacks coming out of here, which has allowed me to to get linked up with a lot of really, really talented guys. That's been helpful. And then um, guys being able to get here really, really easily in, in order to get services. And then um, for another group of guys, I can get out to them pretty easy. So if I wasn't in Atlanta, I don't think that the business that I have would be where it is today. Or I know that it wouldn't. That's, that's awesome, man. Your dad was a coach too, yeah? Yeah, my dad was a coach. He coached. He was a head coach at Savannah State. Coach at Alabama. He coached at a number of different colleges, but then he went on to coach with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this year he was with the Toronto Argonauts out in Canada. He was coaching with them for the past three years. So I grew up in a locker room. Like that's all I've really ever known was football. I mean, what was his demeanor and style and what he brought to the game? Uh, my dad was was a pretty calm, pretty calm coach. So he came up under the, the Tony Dungy tree. So he yeah. wasn't one of the rah, rah, loud, super, you know, in-your-face, big-energy guy. Uh, he was pretty much going to have a conversation with you, let you know what you needed to, be do- needed to be done. But at the same time, he was really, really personal with guys. So I saw him developing those relationships with the guys he trained, and I knew that that was – important because I saw all the guys that he, he coached and he worked with, they played really hard for him um, because right. they, they knew he cared about them as people. You know, it's, it's funny because somebody asked me, is there a difference when certain quarterbacks step in a huddle as opposed to others? And it was like, because sometimes it looks like those receivers aren't running routes that hard or the O-line is, isn't holding that block that long. And I'm like, yeah, legitimately, <laughs> like, those guys aren't. Those guys that that surrounding you in that huddle and in that locker room, because they see the work that you put in day in and day out. And if they don't respect that, man, like then they won't play at that level. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's and it's in every aspect. Like, so it's it's actually being that instead of talking about it. And you know, when I'm spending time with these guys, like I had one one kid. Matter of fact, you know him, Anthony Brown. You know, mm-hmm. and we had a conversation, and essentially he said, "Uh, hey, big homie, like." how do I get these guys around me to play at the level um, that I want them to, you know, how do they take it as serious as I do? And I was like, man, it's really just one the the work that you're projecting on a day to day, but the emotions that you're projecting too. like, they got to know that you care and that you take it serious. And I was like, I, I loved it. That's why I like saying it. Cause it's one of these deals where you can, life is about, you know, those memories that you had and how you continue to, use that going forward. You know, it's just one big recollection. It's this common ground for everything. And I was like, AB, you remember that first touchdown that you had in Little League? You know, how excited you were? I was like, he's like, yeah, man. And I was like, you remember, you know, have time those orange slices. He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that that star crunch or that strawberry uh, shortcake in that, that juice box that you had after the game. He was like, yeah. And I was like, you remember all of that because it was a big moment. And I was like, what if you made every moment a big moment and you did it in the classroom and you did it at practice? Like, and those guys start to realize what it is in their present in that moment. And you can do so many great things with the guys around you because they realize that every moment that we have is fleeting and it's gone and we don't get it back. Man, a hundred percent. That's something you can hang your hat on. And that's sure. just like, like being there present in the moment. I think that that changes things and 
how people perceive you. And uh, I mean, you you basically turned the program around. Uh, Clemson wasn't where where it was without you, so you had to really bring a bunch of guys up um, and get them to rally around what you were doing. So you know it better than anybody else. Well, man, the coach, I, like I was fortunate to have pretty much a bunch of hard asses in my life early <laughs> on. You know, like my dad, man, like, shit, man. He's still to this day, but like, hey, <laughs> why the hell didn't you hit this guy back here? I'm like, he wasn't even in read, fam. He was just, <laughs> you know. And so, I mean, we used to be, like, I'd come out. I remember at NC State, I had, like, um, I had eight touchdowns total, five thrown, right? And he calls me over on Sunday. I was like, hey, come watch this for me. I'm like, watch what? Man, I'm tired. You know? <laughs> and he went through every bad play that I had. I'm like, you know, this is wild. But that's that's kind of the, the makeup that I had. And I had it in the Little League. Unfortunately, I had it in middle school. And thank God I had it in high school. So by the time I got to, like, college, you know, you start to realize, like, a lot of guys, that's why, like, I don't put a lot of stock into stars. I like to look at where they came from, the pedigree that they're built around and how they handle chaotic environments. And, you know, when you get that, man, and when you're built by the fire and when you're hardened, man, like not a lot faces you. And obviously I think that when you look at Deshaun, you know, there's a lot. He's so calm and he's so cool in everything that he does. I think a lot of it is because of that environment that he's from. And I'm sure you would agree that way. Yeah, if, if you haven't really been through some tough things, like some real adversity, when it strikes you, there's no – you have no real idea how you're going to respond. Like, when I talk about Deshaun, I'm like, he went through so much hard shit in his life like that was really, really difficult. He yeah. knows that when he gets out there and he's on the football field, like, it's just a game. Like, there's nothing that's – there's nothing life or death about the situation he's in. And he's been in situations that, you know, a lot of other people might have folded. But if, if you can persevere through those moments, then then a fourth quarter drive versus Alabama, that's not as big to you, right? You yeah. don't you don't get nervous in that you don't flinch um, because you know you're built for those type of situations, and 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 those type of guys are the guys that you want to be around. Um, and, and that's kind of the thing I think about playing quarterback, and I think a lot of people miss this. They think about someone who can just throw or someone who can just run. If you can't handle adverse situations over and over again and respond positively, then you're not going to be able to make it, no matter how talented you are at everything else. And I'm actually – I'm big on – I got to see it too, you know, and I I need to see it over over a period of time. And I know you're very – you know, Mr. Trubisky is one of your favorite quarterbacks. (laughs) (laughs) And, Um, man – like when when he left UNC, like I just didn't see enough. I was like, I don't know, and I like I I didn't know about Cardell Jones. He's just not like that. I don't think they're talented. Mm-hmm. I just don't know, you know. Yeah, it's funny. Like I saw those. I I have the very similar opinions on both those guys, and uh, it's just if you just see a flash, or you only see it for a couple games. Like you you don't have enough experience to draw back on when stuff gets hard. You can't go, man, back that one time on the third and seven when I was playing this team, I did that, right? You you can't be confident in things that you haven't experienced. Like, you can't draw back on any one thing. Like, I know I can do that because of this. So when you don't have that, it gets really, really hard, especially at the next level. For sure. Well, and <laughs> I guess in a way, you know, in your predicament, your situation, you almost become a sports psychologist, I'm assuming. So. You know, with 
and quarterback training is there's a lot of guys out there, you know, and some guys phase out. And mm-hmm. You've created sustainability, but I think a lot of it is because, I mean, you said you were sleeping in your car six years ago. And it wasn't like this just didn't happen just based off of off of who you knew. It was about the work that you put in and as a byproduct that came along with it. Um, so how do you know for anybody who has a kid who wants to pursue playing quarterback at a very high level, how do you know who to work with at this point? Because there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Yeah, I think that is really, really hard. And um, it's hard to even know who's providing you with good information. Like, because yeah. if you're a parent, you don't even know what you should be looking for in the things that they're, they're saying. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to look at who they've worked with, who I feel like people, people talk about are successful from the fundamental standpoint. So that's, one really important thing to me. And then the next thing is who they are as a person. Um, yeah. And I think I said that probably in the wrong order. I should probably have started with who they are as a person and then the the fundamental part. Because if it's not some, somebody you want your kid around and you want to take on a lot of the things that they do and a lot of their personality, then it's not someone you want to train your, your kid because it's – it's about so much more than throwing a football. Uh, right. If that was – I wouldn't work with most – there's other guys who probably know a good amount in terms of training quarterbacks, but mm-hmm. the thing that's different about what we're doing is we're trying to build men. We're trying to make it tough. Um, and, and you kind of train like the type of person you are. Uh, right. and, and you can see that if you really mm-hmm. start knowing the quarterback trainers like you do know in the space, the, the style of training that they take on has a lot to do with who they are as a person. Yeah. And you're around a lot of them. So like at this point, do you see yourself, cause you work with elite 11 pretty heavily. I mean, I was elite 11 alumni. I think I met you for the first time at 14. Actually when Deshaun was a camper. Mm-hmm. We had a hell of a crowd of <laughs> Johnny, Teddy yeah. and David Phils. And me and Johnny definitely had a night out. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a lot of people in that space too. Do you sense, I mean, is there a lot of envy in that space too? hundred percent. Um, yeah. And I think that's kind of why guys fail. They get caught up in looking at what other people are doing. There was, there were some guys who were doing it better than anybody else when I was coming up. Like when mm-hmm. I wanted to do it, and I was watching them, and I could have been at the point where I was envious of the things they were doing, um, yeah. and caring more about what they were doing than what I knew that I had to do to be successful. And if I would have got caught up in that, um, I wouldn't have been able to put my head down and think about day in and day out. What I needed to do to be, uh, I feel like I'm the best quarterback trainer in the world. So what I needed to do to be the best quarterback trainer in the world, I would have got caught up in the other things like, why does he get to work with this guy? Why is he working with that guy? Which is really, really easy to do when you're in a competitive environment. Um, but you got to understand that the thing that's more important than anything is what you're doing and you hold yourself accountable. Yeah. And in that world, you know, when you're looking at these these players, can you tell right off the bat which guys have the stuff? Because all obviously all these quarterbacks play at a high level. I mean, if not, they wouldn't be, you know, involved to that capacity. But you know, obviously there's a difference, and there's like a a meter that you can track. It's like, all right, this guy has it. This guy has that one little extra thing. This guy doesn't at all. Can you see that and know? And so it doesn't surprise you when you see him in the collegiate level. You know, it's funny, I, I, and I know you know this. Like you walk away. That's the cool thing about elite eleven. When you walk away, you kind of have a really good idea of, okay, who's going to have a big freshman year? 
who has a chance for sustained success. And then the, you get to watch those counselors and you're like, I think this guy might make it. I think this guy might not at the next level because you get to see them in that competitive environment. You see it really, really quickly. Who's ready to be to go out there and bang with the big dogs? And then who might be shying away in big moments? And that's yeah. a lot more to do with who they are as uh, a person than the talent. Yeah, because it's a lot of alphas in that room, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of real alphas and it's a lot of fake ones. Fake and, you, and you and you find out who's fraud real quick. Yeah. Oh, that was the, that was the best part about it, man. <laughs> now, I, when you were when you were at your when you hit your low, mm-hmm. and you said, "Hey, man, like I want to be the best quarterback trainer in the world." I mean, you could have just went worked a regular job, you know. So, so what drives you to continue to do this? And obviously, it's it's easy to say, yeah, like. Now, but it's we're not talking about now. We're talking about at that point where you was like, shit, man, my back's against the wall, man. Like I could just be doing something else and go work a normal job and and do this, but I need to stick with this because there's something there. Man, there was a couple of different times that I felt like I had I had a pretty low point. Um, when I first moved back, I was probably like 45 days in, and I was living out of my car. And then I would wake up and go to the gym and go to Starbucks. And I'm like, man, I just reached out to over it was like 1,300 kids. I was trying to reach out to uh, like 150 a day. And not, not one of them wanted to train with me for free. I'm like, for free? Yeah, for free. Not one of them wanted to train with me for free. I'm like, shit, man, I'm doing something <laughs> wrong. That was that was a tough time. Uh, I weathered through that one. And then I just started coaching like a fifth grade youth team. And, I mean, I just started trying to make that happen. Um, so I did that for a second. And then – the other low was like, all right, I, I started to get a little juice. Like, I started to get a little momentum. A quarterback coach on the West Coast told me, like, yo, I want you to help me with draft prep. So I packed up everything I had in Atlanta. I drove out there. When I got out there, he didn't answer the phone. Get out of here, man. On, on my life. I'm there for, like, a week, and they never hit me back, and I just drove back home. <laughs> I'm like, damn, like, is this life? Uh, and then uh, I was like, all right, I, I want to be in a position um, where I get an opportunity to help that guy out, and I do. I, I'm going to help him out, even though they just did that to me. I want to get in a position where I can help them out, and I do after that to let them know that I'm different. Uh, so that was that was one of the things that, that kind of drove me. Jeez, man. <laughs> Well, all the way out to Cali, man. All the way out to Cali. Jeez, <laughs> you still keep up with the dude? Uh yeah, you know, you keep track. I think I know you're talking about, but we're not gonna talk. About <laughs> you keep track. <laughs> yeah, well, good on you, man. Because I think that one dude kind of threw some threw me under the bus a little bit. So it is what it is, man. Yeah, it happens to the best of us. That's what makes it fun, though, man. Just so you can smile and laugh about it, man, and just be like you know what. You know, this is this is for the best all the way through. 100%. You can't control how anybody else is going to treat you. The only thing you can control is your reaction. Yeah. The bounce back, baby. Yep. Now, let's talk about the evolution of the quarterback position. All right. Because I, I think it changes year in and year out. And we're starting to see this dynamic, obviously, in the NFL. So, I'm still trying to figure out why in the hell – they make us drop back from under center at the combine. 
game <laughs> is definitely not that anymore. So uh, I know they, they want to hang on to the NFL deal. We're starting to see it change a little bit, but you know how it is. It's silly, and I even thought about that in terms of uh, just building pro day scripts. Because uh, you talk to these quarterback coaches in the NFL, and you're like, what do you want to see? And they're like, I want to see this. This from understanding, this from understanding. I'm like, why you don't do that in the game? What are we doing that for? That's silly. Yeah. So you build it out knowing that that's not really what they want, and then you try and give them enough so that they can be happy. But it's it's so cool to see not only the transition from under center to shotgun, but the different types of quarterbacks that you see now. Um, the way they're able to move, the way they're able to create from outside the pocket, extending plays is not. We need this six five big guy who doesn't necessarily – he can't move and he just throws in the pocket. That's that's not what people are looking for anymore. And it's cool to see just the transition. Yeah, for sure. And even – so when I was with the Jets – so when I was coming out, like the RPO stuff was just kind of hitting the scene a little bit. It had been around, but it was starting to pick up a little bit more steam. And at the particular time, I had um, Marty Mornerweg as the OC, and I had – David Lee as quarterback coach. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Oh my gosh. He's trying to change <laughs> mechanics and everything else. I'm like, coach, I'm like 23 years old, bro. I'm not changing my mechanics. Like, it is what it is. <laughs> and Tyrod said the same thing. Tyrod was like, bro, he's wild, man. Yeah. Some, somehow I don't understand. I know the NFL is a buddy league as far as coaches go, but I, I do hope that we start to see a transition here. But even from a terminology standpoint, like, um, our. We had a we had a play at Clemson. It was Trey Wright, Florida Nine. It was three by one set, tight end attached. They got the verts from the field. I got my ex pretty much running underneath of just a, a small drag. And that was everything. Trey Wright, Florida Nine was the play. Built on everything. My my pro, my running back knew that he was chipped to check down the whole bit. And uh boy, I got to the Jets and I remember it pretty vividly in my story a lot because I mean, I thought I was gonna have a damn in a breakdown, man. I had I was getting eighty play installs a day, getting two reps of practice. You know, wasn't really getting a shot. I was like, man, what the what the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. And this same this play because we didn't have it on like a, a wristband. We was just getting it in the microphone and the helmet, and it was shift to halfback, turn right open, two jet scat slam, all go special, eagle shallow cross, and it was the same exact play. Yeah, Florida nine, and I was like, I don't understand why why you have to make it this complex, man. Because now. After I said it for the fifth time and finally got it right, I forget exactly what I said walking up to that line of scrimmage. And, <laughs> and I was like, man, this is wild. You know, and I was trying to explain to them what RPO was. And it was like, oh, this doesn't even make sense. I'm like, coach, it does. Like, well, it's not going to work. And so to see Marty now, you know, having Lamar Jackson over there is pretty interesting to me. And, uh, you know, I, I think that we're starting to see what it looks like when these guys can play in a system that makes sense for them. Yeah, you get to see Marty, like, literally build an offense around what Lamar's successful at, vertical passing game, a lot of things in RPO. So he doesn't have to necessarily be um, an intermediate accurate passer, but that deep down the field taking shots, I think he's probably the best touch thrower there is in the NFL. And then they're like, all right, this is what he does good. We'll get receivers who can do that, and that's what we'll build our offense around. So seeing seeing teams get smart enough to – build things around what their guys do successful uh, really makes me happy and lets me know that there's going to be a continued evolution with the position. And do you do you think that a guy like Mitch Trubisky has a shot 
to be a real not like not a good quarterback, but a really good quarterback in the league. Man, I was hoping you were gonna say does Mr. Trubisky have the potential to be serviceable? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really good is a real reach. Uh, when when I look at the things that he struggles with, he struggles with processing information at a high level. Yeah. Um, I mean, I see him run RPOs. Right. He'll keep it for the pass option, and he still won't throw it, even though he saw everything the correct way. It was interesting. I saw a tweet. A guy broke it down picture by picture, frame by frame. I'll send that to you so you can send that link out. But it it made me understand that not only is he not processing, but then when he has an opportunity to make throws, he still can't make them because his feet and his eyes aren't tied together well enough for him to be consistently accurate. Yeah. Jeez. And when you see that, I mean, because I, I, I see people all the time. I think they'll tweet at you and it'll be a kid's huddle link. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> essentially you're like a consultant out here too um you got to so you got a whole team you say you got 17 guys yeah how much of that information is being filtered before it gets back to you uh if somebody sends me some on social media if i got time i'll check it if not i'll just pass it on to one of those guys and have them look at it and, and come up with some information that we can give to that guy but that's kind of how we roll with it if they just send it to my to the qb takeover twitter or huddle i mean twitter or instagram then Right. I definitely not going to see it unless it's uh, really amazing tape. And since we're in this NFL conversation, where is there? Okay, so at one point, rookie quarterbacks never played the first year or two, and I think it all, it all depends on the kid. To be completely honest, and the situation, the circumstance, and the players around him, and all of that. And I, I know how I feel about it, but do you think that if a kid comes in as a rookie and he goes out there and has just a rough season, I mean, 14 interceptions or something like Sam Darnold, a game like he had, mm-hmm. he was, he's in the second year now. Do you think that damages the quarterback in the long term if he's not ready for it? If he's not ready for it, I think that is going to put him in a real bad situation. So if he's not mentally resilient enough to handle, and I think now it's even worse, you had to deal with this, but the social media area where people are pounding you with information about how bad you are, right? I think that's going to put you in a, in a bad spot because if you can't be mentally tough enough to go out there and bounce back after something like that, then you're, then it could forever fracture you as a, as a quarterback, just mentally. Yeah. That That's the harder part than anything. It's just the mental aspect. Just, having the confidence to go out there and play well. Well, and that's the – so, like, Dwayne, and you, you're really close with Dwayne, and you train him, um, and you're, you're a big brother to him. I know I know Dwayne wants to play right now. You know, I know he feels like he can go out there and, and contribute and turn this program around. But for you seeing it from the outside in, are you telling him that it's better to sit, or do you, do you think that he should play at this particular point? I think that – and I'm not there every day. I, I get yeah. what he tells me, right? But I know if he has to go in the huddle and call green right X shift to Viper right 32 stick looky, right? Is he going to be able to say that and then be able to flip the protection and then, right. you know what I'm saying, all those different things? I'm not sure if he's, based on what they say, or the information they present, that he's not ready to do that yet. So if he's not ready yeah. to do that, then I don't want him to go in the game and not be successful. But if he can do that and even he can give the guys um, the information that they need, 
then I think he needs to be on the field. And as soon as he's ready for that, because um, the talent part, that's not the issue. Right. He's as talented as anybody that I've ever seen. But if he can do all the things mentally where he can change the protections, he sees four coming week, he's going to turn it back to the to the weeks, like all those different things and put himself in a position where he's not only going to be successful but going to protect himself from all the different hits, then it's time for him to go. Yeah. Yeah, and patience is patience is, is tough, man. You know, he said patience is a virtue, and I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And you know, for a lot of these younger players, man, you know they'll they'll be ready when the coach when the coach calls. Yeah, hopefully, it is- I, I remember Coach Sweeney sharing that same sentiment with me. You know, I uh, and thankfully it wasn't no transfer portal <laughs> around when I was there. But I was like, man, coach, like I was a number three quarterback in, in high school and. And I'm sitting, you know, I'm waiting, and I want to play. He was like, look, you know, you just had an ACL injury. He was like, just be patient. And when I put you on that field, just trust me that you'll be ready. And he was right, you know. But, you know, it's tough for a lot of these kids because of social media, because a lot of these guys, man, they got 100,000, 200,000 followers by the time they get in. Mm-hmm. And so whether they're ready or not, they want people to think that they're ready. And they don't want to lose any of the steam that they've been building up over the course of the years, not realizing that it's about longevity as opposed to just the now. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that that's something that you also spend time talking to, especially the high school quarterbacks right now coming out. So Yeah, and, and some yeah. of the times that these guys get to college and think that I'm supposed to start right now and then they, they're getting out of there too quick. Like that, the transfer portal is both a blessing and a curse because I think that every guy thinks that they should be on the field as soon as they get somewhere, and that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes the most beneficial thing for you is spending some time figuring out what you need to do to be successful. Um, yeah, so until until guys understand that uh, typically you're going to get a coach who's going to try to put you in a position to be successful and wants the best for you. Uh, and if, if they don't do that, then you shouldn't have went there in the first place. Yeah. Well, and obviously you got a track record. With, well, let me jump back to college for a minute. you got a track record with Ohio State quarterbacks <laughs> right now. I don't think that it's slowing down. And, you know, I, I think that Clemson, when it's all said and done, will be ready. And that's just like me not being a homer mm-hmm. and kind of a homer. But when I look at Ohio State this year, I said like the first couple of games of the season, I was like, this team feels real. I feel like they, they got something. It's different. You know, Justin Fields, it's wild because I don't think that he has the success that he's having right now at Georgia, regardless of the situation, because they wouldn't allow him to to even get to that point of success, in my opinion. But at Ohio State, you know, he's he's running this offense like a machine. And do you think that they these guys, him specifically, has an opportunity to be the best quarterback in college football, be the best team in college football? I think without a doubt they do. And, not, and the reason I say best team is unlike last year, their defense is unreal this year. They're yep. playing football, but now you exchange Dwayne for Justin Fields. Justin Fields throws the ball at a very high level. Um, you know how – I'm going to talk about the lead 11, but that's one of the most – that's the toughest environment for a high school football player. And I watched Justin sure. Fields go attack it without being able to use his legs and absolutely dominate folks. Now he has the ability to use his legs. Uh, so if things break down, he gets to add that that element in there. Um, and he's one of the most athletic guys on the field every time he steps out there. So it makes him one of the most dominant guys in football. And I think that 
it was Trevor is an amazing player. I'm not taking anything away from him, but I think next year you're gonna have a real question on who's gonna be the the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft. Um, yeah, because those two dudes are some generational talents, and I think Justin's better than a lot of people even anticipated. And he got into a system that fits him perfectly now. Now he gets to go out there and yeah. be the dude. Absolutely, man. Looks good out there. He really does. Looks even better than those all black uniforms, <laughs> boy. Now, a quarterback that that somebody may not know about in college football right now, who who would you say is the most underrated, underappreciated quarterback in the game? Uh, I'm going to talk about a guy named David Moore. Uh, he's at Central Michigan. He did not start to start the year, and he has got a crazy story. He, he got in a little bit versus Wisconsin, then game, came in the next three games. 300 yards back to back to back, like he was shredding, shredding defenses. Then the NCAA gave him gave him a drug test. He failed it. This is a steroid test, um, but it was a imperm- not an impermissible test, but it was understood that the test was performed illegally. He got retested. Everything came back negative, so it was clear that the drug t- test was erroneous. Um, he should be he should be playing. And now the NCAA is just taking their good, sweet time uh, and putting him back on the field. So that's not only an unfortunate situation, but he's one of the better quarterbacks in college football who's been struck with, like, the most unfortunate of circumstances. And I hope that everybody gets to hear the story about what's going on. Jay Billis was actually talking about it today. It's, it's really unfortunate that something like that can happen to somebody and, and no one really cares. That is what – I mean, and it's <laughs> – Totally based off of, of where he's at right, right. now, you know, and that's that's the that's the disappointing part about it. Undoubtedly, now NFL obviously everybody knows who Deshaun Watson is. Everybody knows who Patrick Mahomes is. We've seen, and a friend of mine wanted me to ask you a question too, so <laughs> let me get to this. Philip Rivers, uh-huh. coming out in today's game environment. Where is he sitting on the draft board? I think he's probably like a third, fourth rounder. Um, yeah. And, and he didn't – he never moved at an elite level. Uh, I think that's something that NFL teams are predicating their offenses around right now. He has a unique throwing motion, so that's something that people are going to talk about, and that's going to – no matter how well he was throwing it, that's going to hinder their thoughts on how good he can be yeah. because – when you're evaluating a quarterback, it's when you evaluate him, you talk about, well, who is his comp? You don't just talk about him as a player, but who does he compare to? And there was nobody he really compared to just because how he threw the ball. Um, it would right. put him in a bad situation. It's going to be – his talent would be better than maybe where he got drafted, but um, I think that's where they'd probably grade him out at. Yeah. There's a lot of these old heads out here right now, man. Like Matt Ryan, I grew up a Falcons fan. <laughs> you know, Chris Chandler. Mm-hmm. And so Matt Ryan just pisses me off, man. You pay that man $100 million to never win you a Super Bowl. And I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> hey, can we put that whole Super Bowl on him? I mean, all they had to do was run the ball one time, um, and they did it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, Patrick Mahomes, Sean Watson, mm-hmm. if they can keep Deshaun healthy, because he takes some big hits right now, you know, and I think, I think that it's coming. I think he's going to get what he needs. Are these guys – the next two to change how the game is played and are do they have the stamp? Obviously, I know the answer, but for the people listening, do they have the stamp? I think they're going to be, yeah, be, they're going to be the face of the NFL for a long time. It's going to be people looking yeah. at these two. Uh, I hope they have a, a 
a Brady-Manning-esque rivalry because they'll both be winning their division for a long time, and they're both in the AFC, so they're going to play each other uh, each and every year. So it's going to be fun to kind of see these guys battle it out, and hopefully there's a bunch of AFC championships battling each other, and uh, we get to see these guys roll. Quincy, man, you've been great. And as we head out, you know, you, you started from the bottom, <laughs> now we're here. I mean, I'm not even a huge Drake fan. I'm more of a push it to you, but it is what it is. <laughs> now, at, at this point, if you could leave it at something, what would your legacy be with all of this that you're doing right now? Uh, my legacy would be I helped um, a lot of the best people in the world become a little bit better. Uh, yeah. that, that's what I hope that people remember about me when I when I finish up. That's awesome. As a matter of fact, all right, you spent some time with, with Gary mm-hmm. B. How's my man in real life? He's full of energy. The energy that you see yeah. on, on social media, all that stuff, that's authentic. Um, and I'd definitely tell you if it wasn't. But I, that's the thing I appreciated about him. Quincy, how do people keep up with you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Quincy underscore Avery. And you can find me on Instagram, Quincy Avery. Uh, no underscores, no nothing. Pretty easy to find out there. And I'm be talking a lot of crazy stuff. And I also have a podcast, the QB Podcast. Um, and we need to get you on pretty quickly here. Yeah. All right. You heard that. No underscores. <laughs> QA. Yes, sir. The quarterback. Thanks, man, for being on. Look forward to jumping on the quarterback podcast, too. For sure. I appreciate it.